This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. One of the things I've sought to do with this show is to provide you with helpful tools and resources that can help you lead more effectively and grow your nonprofit. Well, fundraising is so critical, right, for all of us to do well so that you have an organization to lead. Well, my guest today started a company that provides some great tools for you as a nonprofit leader. My guest today is Gari Manglik, CEO and co-founder of Instrumental. Gari leads this organization, and Instrumental currently serves over 2,000 nonprofits today, making it really a favorite tool among grant seekers for bringing grant prospecting, tracking, and management into one place. Enjoy today's show. Gari, it's so good to have you on the show today. Uh, You have a lot of experience in fundraising and grant prospecting, and fundraising is the lifeblood of all nonprofits, as you know. So I wanted to start out with that. Why, for so many nonprofits, can they be inefficient with fundraising, specifically? And I'd like to know, how can we fix that? How can we as nonprofit leaders who are listening to this podcast better train their staff, measure the impact of their team, and choose the best tools for their nonprofit? Let's start out with that. Sure. Yeah, I think that there is the three ways that I think about inefficiencies. The first is like a, at the largest level. Um, and I think that that tends to come from when I see organizations, nonprofit, even for-profit scale before they have validation of their impact, which makes everything about fundraising harder. If you don't know like what story is resonating, if you don't have data or impact to point to, and you haven't built like a mindset of like learning and iterating to find that sustainable flywheel, if you then are, you know, just trying to write a bunch of grants or trying to like reach out to a ton of donors without that larger picture figured out, that like sustainable model figured out, then that's like a huge form of inefficiency. You know, on a per hour basis, you're just spending time without kind of working on the the fundamentals of what you need to prove before you're going to be able to be successful with those asks. And then I think another inefficiency comes from the second layer comes from specifically on the fundraising efforts part, not knowing where to focus your efforts. And so I like to talk about kind of like a formula for fundraising, kind of like really understanding what are the key levers that grow your revenue. So like what's your revenue formula? For example, if you were, you know, have it a strong kind of individual giving program, it could be new leads in your CRM times your conversion rate to give times the average amount that they give times the frequency of giving. And that's basically going to determine how much new kind of revenue, new, you know, new uh, donations you'll be bringing in. And really understanding what part of that lever you want to be focusing on or not understanding that can be another source of inefficiency. Um, And the third, I think, comes from like a lack of systems, talent, and tooling, which also need to be thought of from that, that larger perspective in terms of like building a sustainable organizational flywheel to make sure you can invest in that. But often I see just like underinvestment in those things, which makes makes things overall kind of feel slow and inefficient. And then in terms of like, measuring impact, I, I would say that the two things that I would look at is as much as possible trying to measure things quantitatively. I think especially in the world of fundraising, 
we're lucky, you're lucky, and that like things can really be measured quantitatively. Even if you're not working on like raw dollar amounts, maybe you're working on increasing the ask amounts or the conversion rate of something or the frequency of giving, those are all measurable. Um, and I think that it's important to use that as the North Star to understand how impactful your efforts. And then the other thing to look at is your your efficiency, right? Like how expensive is, is it for you to move a particular lever or to focus on a particular fundraising channel? Um, so if you're able to see your overall costs for you know, a particular channel, let's say events, and then the overall income or the revenue that you're bringing in from that, you can understand that channel relative to other channels and, and decide on if that's worth your time. No, all good stuff. I really appreciate that. Now, finding which grant funders will be the best fit for your organization can be daunting uh, uh, you know, at times. And there's no doubt that we're in this big data age, as you've mentioned many times. And because of that, it's more important than ever, perhaps, to leverage any and all quantitative insights that you can find around the funders that you're hoping to get funding from, particularly when you're applying. So what's the best way to go about that? Who are the best nonprofits or maybe what are the characteristics of nonprofits that are doing this better than others? Yeah. So I think the first thing you need to do is like basically have a system to help give you insights. So you don't have to do the analysis and like the grunt work yourself, which will just make you you know, super inefficient if you if you were doing that. And and you want to have everything in one place. So all of the information in one place. If you're approaching funders or grants and you don't have a sense for who they funded in the past, what those dollar amounts were, how their trends are changing over time, and importantly, how open they are to new grantees versus repeat grantees, then you, relative to other organizations that are pursuing that funder or grant, you're at a huge disadvantage. Um, so it's really important to have um, those types of insights so that you can use that to inform your process. Um, that's the, I guess that's like the big data age. You know, it's it's kind of like a, it's, um you can't af- afford to not have that data because many organizations do and you don't want to be relatively um, kind of underserved in that way. Um, and then in terms of what nonprofits are doing that that kind of overall like do fun, uh, grant fundraising? Well, I would say there's four main things that come to mind. The first is that they realize that grants are not that different often from major donors in that there's there can be a huge advantage to making contact and building relationships and really nurturing those relationships over time. Sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes the funder really doesn't want to do that or some types of funders are not going to you know, be open to that. But where possible, um, that's an important thing to realize. The second is making sure that they're grant ready um, as an organization. So making sure that you actually have programs that have some sort of track record, the organization has a track record, um, and you're able to clearly state like with confidence, um, kind of how you're going to be able to deliver on certain outcomes with the money that you're requesting. The third is being at a place where you can actually take in feedback and use that to inform your process. I feel like that's an overlooked part where you know sometimes folks will get started with grants and they'll write a bunch, they won't win any, and then they'll kind of stop. And one, they may not have made sure that they're grant ready, which is obviously the first place to start. But second, like you know, there's like a learning here and if you don't give yourself the time to incorporate that feedback and experiment, um, you're you're just you could be just you know a couple months away from being able to really unlock that channel. Um, and then the fourth thing that I feel like is easy to say but hard to do is really to focus on the funder's perspective, um, to actually empathize with the funder, to read between the lines, try to figure out what they care about. It's all good, you know. It's good to create pr- proposals that you can reuse and have materials that you can reuse, but 
you want the funder to read this and think this is a no-brainer. And so that's actually on you to kind of figure out how to make that happen by really understanding what the funder really cares about, looking at their past grantees and looking at you know articles that the funder might be putting out um, and really like trying to speak their language. Now, all good insights. I really like that. And, and let's continue to talk about grants. When it comes to receiving donations from foundations, individuals, and grants, do you believe that grants are something that nonprofits should put more time into, say, rather than individual uh, givers? What's your thoughts on that just kind of time of percentage of time for development folks? I think it really depends on the organization and the program and, and also like definitely what the organization has found to be working. I've seen some organizations that have like pretty commonly like 10 to 30% of their budget comes from grants and then others where it's closer to 80%. Most often I find that that will typically come from either really small organizations or organizations that are heavily funded by government grants. Um, But I think that it's a great channel if you have a track record of success and can't invest in the process. So that's like the, the key thing with grants is that you have to be able to be willing to give it at least a year, I would say, to really unlock it because you need to build in time to learn, you need to, you need to make sure that you're grant ready. Um, you need to build time to build those relationships. Um, so if you're only going to give yourself like three months to decide if that channel is going to work out, then I, I think you're, you kind of might as well not actually prioritize that. You might be better spent spending those, those three months on like a different um, a fundraising approach. No, very helpful. And now you've also talked about building a logic model. Could you explain what that is and how can leaders implement that into their organization? Yeah, for sure. So a logic model can help you basically define your a couple of things, your goals, objectives, inputs, outputs, and outcomes that are associated with a specific project. And the great thing about a logic model is that it's typically like visually represented like a flowchart so that it's easy for your stakeholders, for funders um, to quickly understand uh, things visually uh, as opposed to needing to like read paragraphs. And Many funders are like requesting logic models as part of the grant applications. That's like a key time to, you know, consider writing that. But but also if a funder doesn't require a logic model, it can still be super useful for just increasing your own understanding of the project. Basically, building that logic model helps demonstrate how the activities of the project that you're proposing will achieve the intended results. And it also serves as like a way for you to kind of clearly communicate that to others, uh, which can be helpful. Um, and so in terms of like getting started with implementing it. You know, if you have an existing program that you understand really well, building the model should not be super hard. If you don't understand the, you know, the project or program, if you're still developing it, then building a logic model is actually a great kind of framework for you to design it to help things become more clear. And as you're putting it together, you know, the the kind of the key things to consider that I mentioned are the inputs, outputs, activities, outcomes, and impacts. And there are some great examples on a blog post that I can share with you want to add it to the show notes um, that you can reference. But um, there's, I would say, like, you know, two main tips in terms of getting your logic model right once you've got a draft is to like review examples. Uh, there's tons on this blog post that I can share as well as like tons at, available online uh, that are good to reference if you're just getting started. And then the other key thing is to use it as a tool to get input and feedback from from others, uh, both like internally at the organization. And it can also be helpful to kind of send it to potentially other grant writers or um, folks that have done this before and get their thoughts on it as well. No, we'd love to get that blog post and we'll get it out to our listeners for sure. So thank you. Definitely send that to me. I'll put it in the show notes. We'll be right back. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. 
just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. When you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Now, I know you work with hundreds, sounds like maybe thousands of nonprofits and leaders you know, throughout the year. I'm sure you've seen some nonprofits who have an abundance mentality and those who have a scarcity mentality. Uh, from your research, what's the difference about nonprofits that are stuck kind of working with that scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset? Could you explain the difference, first of all, for those maybe you're not familiar with that uh, comparison? And then number two, what have you discovered so far between those two different approaches? Sure, yeah. It's pretty easy to understand the difference, I think, um, at an abstract level, like abundance mindset. It's kind of what it sounds like. You, have, you feel like you have more options, more choices, more resources, like plenty of resources for everyone. Uh, to go around and scarcity mindset is really where you feel like you're coming from a lack of options of choices and there's not enough resources to go around. You kind of feel threatened. And I think that this definitely comes up in the nonprofit space. I think there are like structural reasons why this is very common in the nonprofit space, you know, just in terms of how the whole system is designed. It's not just like something, you know, I like to kind of give this disclaimer when talking about it, that it's, it's kind of like the disclaimer discussion on leaning in that uh, people have around like women in the workplace. Like, yes, like women should like take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of them, but you can't have that conversation without kind of also having the broader discussion of like why we need to have this conversation in the first place. And I feel like the same thing is true with the abundance versus scarcity mindset. Like it's not like all on the nonprofit that like that they're the reason that they have that scarcity mindset. I mean, it's, it's a structural issue in the whole kind of philanthropic environment and funders play a big hand in kind of creating that. So I just want to preface that with saying that. But I think even though there are these disadvantages and kind of a fertile ground for creating a scarcity mindset in the nonprofit space, I think you can still overcome that and use kind of certain shifts in mindset to support you. And one of the big ones, I would say, especially with fundraising, is the mindset of being able to create like win-win situations. So kind of what I was talking about before with really being able to like empathize with the funder and understand where they're coming from. Instead of this idea of like convincing a funder or kind of like begging a funder to like donate until like your next big thing, I think the most important thing is to come from a place of strength where you have already convinced yourself that this is something that, you know, this particular funder, this particular donor um, should be spending their time and money on. And to convince yourself that's not trivial. You need to do a lot of work. You need to make sure your program is having an impact. You want to make sure that you're seeing kind of an actual tra- initial traction. You want to make sure that you kind of are setting yourself out. You know, you have like a true kind of unique insight in terms of the community, in terms of the, the service offerings that you have. And if you don't have these things, you may not actually be convinced. And so that's what I was kind of saying before in terms of kind of a lot of things that get in the way of kind of inefficiencies is is just kind of not having that kind of broader sustainability story figured out. And I think that also comes into play um, with this abundance mindset and really getting to this place first where you have, you can come from that position of strength, but you can go to the funder and you can come from a place of, yeah, feeling like 100% confident that this funder is going to be able to meet their objectives by funding your organization. 
It really um, sounds like yeah. you're talking about a win-win scenario in your mind and then also going to the funder and saying that this person will actually wants to give to your nonprofit. Is that kind of where you're coming from that you come at it with this confidence? Yeah. And like, you know, if you think about it, there's like hundreds of billions of dollars given it like in philanthropic dollars each year. And like one way to look at it is that it's like charitable and it's altruistic. And like, that's true. Of course it is. But another way to look at it is that these funders and donors, they have like true problems that they're trying to solve. Otherwise they wouldn't part with their money. There are certain like outcomes that they want to see in the world and they're not working on them like directly, or they may not be working on them kind of hands-on. And they're looking for partners, for stewards uh, to be able to create that impact. Like they're trying, you know, that's like a lot of money. <laughs> There's clearly a problem that that's being trying to solve. And if you want to be kind of the organization that's solving that problem, I think it's helpful to kind of come from that mindset. Uh, excellent. No, very helpful. Well, okay. Aside from having a clear and compelling mission, the talent organization attracts and retains are absolutely critical to the success of that nonprofit. So what have you observed on that one? Because I know you've done some work with nonprofits in that regard. What about the nonprofits that are succeeding and fundraising the most? What makes them different in how they manage their people specifically? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. Um, I think, you know, I think the obvious one to me, or like the first one that comes to mind is compensation. I think like the nonprofit um, sector has a, you know, an advantage in that they can really uh, focus on the mission and they can have really mission oriented folks join their organization and, and really be, you know, thinking about the success of the organization as a whole, which is, which is great. Um, but I think that's, you can't push that too far, right? Like it has, there has to be some sort of um, sustainable compensation strategy from the beginning that has to be like baked into your, your organizational kind of plan. Like if you can't get, if you don't see a path forward where that's possible, um, then then that's like a, a huge problem and you kind of need to rethink your overall model. You know, I have a you know startup and in the early days, like it's not like we were paying like market salaries. So I think there's like a, a obviously like a grace period when you are getting things off the ground and people are also willing to take less um, payment at that time. But there has to be kind of like an eye to a way to get to a more sustainable model. And then I think there's a couple of other things just on on the kind of mindset. Like I think there's a lot of turnover in the nonprofit space. And I think sometimes leaders can feel like that's unavoidable. And I would kind of challenge that to really see if you can be an example of a different kind of organization that has really great retention. And what would it take for you to have that? It's not going to be easy. You know, you'd have to figure out how to like help people grow in their careers and how to help coach them, how to help them grow their skills, be open to their feedback. And all those things are not easy when you have a million other things to work on, especially if you're a small organization. Um, but I think it's worth trying to understand the, the like real cost of losing good talent um, because it's more expensive than just, you know, like just the time I guess it takes to find that next person. So would you say even to the point where it's more expensive to have high turnover than just to continue to keep people you know in place as long as possible? In other words, it really can be a problem down the road for your organization. If you can't keep people, you can't retain people, you don't attract them with the right salary or the right environment in the long run, you're really hurting your nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also like, you know, in years like two, three, four, when you get folks that have been in your organization that are high performers that, that have that institutional knowledge, like they're going to be able to create such greater impact than somebody who's just joined, you know, been here for six months. Oh, absolutely. Do you feel like, you know, we've had lots of conversations with people on the show. I've had lots of conversations with fellow nonprofit leaders. 
This is a challenge, and I think even more so now with the job market the way it is, it seems like all the pressures of uh, needing to bump people's pay up, whether it be salary or hourly pay. Have you found that to be the case? Do you feel like this is maybe an acute crisis, even in the nonprofit world, to really make sure we're being competitive with our um, salaries and our recruitment efforts? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's across the board. And I think that, um, you know, I would imagine that the pinch is being felt uh, pretty acutely in the nonprofit sector just based on you know, just like the foundation uh, and the kind of compensation philosophy of a lot of um, organizations. And yeah, I think then, you know, to to kind of be competitive, I would again, go back to your overall kind of flywheel as an organization and make sure that you're really building in like sustainability and growth so that you can have this flywheel of being able to invest in great talent and having that kind of build into, you know, being able to, show success in your programs and being able to show impact and obviously being able to like hire fundraising folks. That's very helpful. And I think one of the last question along these lines, it's always a bit of a challenge with maybe donors and or board members that are hesitant to pay market rate because they think, well, for some reason there's a mentality out there. I think we're getting past that, but it's still there with some that they, they just feel like we shouldn't pay market rate for nonprofit leaders that everyone should understand, Hey, this is a charity. This is a nonprofit. Therefore, you're not going to get the same pay as you get in a for-profit. I know that mentality is changing with a lot of leaders and a lot of authors and people that are in this field, but there's still need. I don't think that's across the board. What have you found when it comes to that mentality of maybe not paying people as much as they really should be paid in order to save money for the nonprofit? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really frustrating challenge that I know nonprofit leaders deal with. I think that from a mindset perspective, like... One thing that I've always found to be really helpful in terms of like just a question that provokes a different um, perspective here is like, like, why do we want like, let's say a, a, like a person that works at an organization that's having really high impact um, in the world to not be compensated well, but we want folks that are, you know, potentially at like really damaging companies to be compensated well. Like why have we created a system where we feel like that's, where how we want to reward people in our economy. Yeah. And then the other thing that I would say is that, you know, I think there's the, a way to balance the conversation, which if the conversation is like, well, we shouldn't pay people market, rate, market rates, then it's like, okay, well then what's the cost of that? Okay, the cost of that is that we might not be able to do all the things we want to do. We might not be able to, because we're not going to have the best talent um, or we're not going to have the talent we want. Um, so then what's the, what are you willing to sacrifice as a board member or as a leader? Because something's going to give, right? You can't have not the best people, but then also have like the highest of expectations. Oh, I like that. That's good. Well, Gary, this has been a fascinating conversation. How can people find out a little bit more about you and also find out more about Instrumental? Sure. Yeah. Well, you can find us at www.instrumental.com. It's instrument and then the letter L.com. And we do have a special link and promo code that we can add to the show notes if folks are interested. So if you go to the website, you'll see that there's a 14-day free trial where you can try us out completely for free. Um, worst case scenario, you might kind of come away with some opportunities that might be a fit for you. Um, best case scenario, you'd like to move forward with the subscription, which and then you have kind of this promo code that we're, we're sharing with you all here today. And even if grants aren't um, kind of your top priority right now, if you're not sure if grants are, are uh, the right channel for you, we have a wonderful blog, instrumental.com forward slash blog with tons of free resources, workshops, like almost every week or two. Um, where you can listen in um, on experts and and just build your knowledge and get ready for when you are ready for grants. Well, Gangari, thanks so much for sharing 
your time today to be on the show, but also all these great resources. I encourage my listeners to check out their website and check out that blog. I think there's some great resources out there and you really are assisting the nonprofit sector in a good way because fundraising, as we said, is the lifeblood of any nonprofit organization. So again, thanks for your time today, Gary. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.